You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I want to read to you just one verse as we continue this celebration of Jesus and his life. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20, the Apostle Paul writes this, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Let's pray. Cause that truth to penetrate our hearts and minds and souls even now. Would you let us know the power of your kingdom as we contemplate your powerful King Jesus? We pray this in his name. Amen. So I have one question for us to consider over the next few minutes that we'll spend together. The question is this, does Easter really matter? Well, I'm glad somebody said yes, uh, I'd hope so after all of that, but you know it's not something that we take for granted. I mean, we live in a culture that uh, would assume that we, we have found answers to all of this world. We don't need to appeal to the supernatural anymore to make sense of reality. Uh, our culture around us would say that uh, the, the story of a man who has died and then rose from the dead, that's the stuff of fairy tales and legends. It's not really necessary for human flourishing. Does Easter really matter? Well, it, it's a question that we all will have to consider at some point or another if we live in the real world of American society. So today what I want to do is just point you to an answer for that question. Whether when I said, does Easter really matter, you immediately were, were ready to say, yes, of course it does. Or you were maybe thinking, finally somebody asked a question that's been on my mind all day. Regardless of where you're at, when you come into these next few minutes, what I want to do is point you towards an answer to the question, does Easter really matter? When I was 13 years old, I got sick. I got really sick. Uh, my, my mom was a nurse, and I could tell in her face that she was worried, and not much worried her. But when I didn't get up off the couch, and I, I, I kind of hunched over and told her how bad my stomach was hurting, she didn't take long to act. She loaded me up in the car, and we went off to the emergency room, and sure enough, the doctor examined me and said, he has appendicitis. Now, as a 13-year-old boy, I'd never heard of appendicitis, and when the doctor said, oh, well, we're going to have to go in and cut it out, I was a little anxious about that thought. I didn't know what appendix was, but I was pretty sure I wanted it to stay put. But the doctor said, no, it's infected and inflamed. If we leave it, uh, you're, you're going to die. So we got to cut this thing out. You, you don't really need it anyways. It's, uh, it doesn't really do anything for you. It's a leftover organ. Uh, appendix, appendixes, just, they're just there. So it's not a big deal. You won't even know that it's gone. Well, he did the procedure and uh, cut my appendix out. Uh, he offered to let me keep it as a souvenir, but by that time I was done. I did not want to see anything else with that appendix. And I've lived my life just fine until about 2009. Yeah, about 2009, I, I read an article published by the National Geographic News. The, the title was a Supposedly Useless Organs. 
And I thought, well, hold on a second. I thumbed through, and sure enough, one of those supposedly useless organs was the appendix. Come to find out, scientists now have decided that we actually do need an appendix. It serves to collect bacteria, and when we've had some pretty serious stomach issues, it, it funnels those bacteria back into our intestines so we can stay healthy. Well, I don't know about you, but uh, maybe if you've had appendicitis, you just want to stay away from some of those third world countries. It's uh, not a good plan for you to go there. If you don't have it, you'll need it. Well, think about this. What if, back when I was 13, our society had concluded, you know what, appendixes, they're, they're unnecessary, and in fact, they can be kind of dangerous. When, when they get infected, they can cause some serious problems. So here's what we're going to do. We're just going to cut them out of everybody. It's going to save everybody uh, the worry and fear. We're just going to cut everybody's appendixes out so that uh, since they're unnecessary and they can cause problems, we'll just take them out of everyone. Would you sign up for that procedure? Probably not, right? No, because we'd all look pretty foolish when we come to later on and realize, oh, well, maybe there was a point to it after all. Now, we know that most folks would survive just fine without their appendix, but there would be some, in some context, where they would come to realize that they really wish they had it. Here's what I want you to think about today. Our society has performed a theoctomy. If you don't know what it means, it's because I just made the word up. It's not a real word. <laughs> what we've done as a society, as a culture, is we've said, you know what? This whole supernatural thing, God, religion, it's, it's, it's really unnecessary for modern people. And, and what's worse, it, it actually can cause some problems. It can get inflamed and, and create some real harm in some communities. So here's what we should do. We should cut it out. And all across our culture, we've cut out the supernatural. We've cut out God. We've cut it out of our entertainment, our education, even our legal system and politics. And if we look at cultures ahead of us in this process, we can just look across the ocean to China and see where the government there is even attempting to cut it out of people's homes. Our society has said, it's unnecessary. It can be dangerous. Let's cut it all out. But what if we actually need the supernatural? What if there is something in human flourishing that's dependent on there being something more? I want you to see this painting. This is a painting entitled The Vision of St. John. It hangs in the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City. I've never been there, and I don't really hang out in art exhibits, but I heard someone talk about this, and it just captured my imagination. I hope it will capture yours as well. This is the vision of St. John. Uh, St. John is that character in blue. Let's zoom in on him. I want you to see him up close. Okay, there you go. So as you see this guy, St. John, what's the question that jumps to your mind as you look at that? For me, the question is, what's he looking at? Or rather, if I'm more careful with my grammar, at what is he looking? But still, you get the point. What's, what's, he, what's up there? What does he see? Go back to the full picture. You, you see that everybody in the painting is looking up at something, and it just seems like there's nothing there. I think this painting serves as a helpful metaphor for, for our entire culture. Our, our, our culture is looking at something that just 
doesn't seem to be there. Well, here's what you need to know about this particular painting. Back in the 16th century, when, uh, well, 17th, I'm sorry, the 15th century, when the artist actually painted this, uh, he actually had more than what you can see there. They had to move this about 200 years later, and they decided that it was too big. So you know what they did? Cut off the top. Nice and simple solution, right? They cut off about five feet of the top. That's a big painting already. Now imagine it. Full and with the full pictures. Imagine the impact that all of the colors would have had. Imagine the story that would have been told if we'd been able to see the whole thing. That's why I think this painting can serve as a helpful metaphor for us. Because our, our whole culture is like this painting. We're, we're a people with the top cut off. And so we're left wondering, well, some people are looking up, but what are they looking at? How do we make sense of this whole story without that part in it? And, and I just wonder if maybe that's why we're so addicted to entertainment. Why we can't go five minutes without uh, pulling up a smartphone or uh, pulling up a movie or watching something on TV. Maybe our addiction to entertainment is, is just a way that we're trying to, to numb that sense inside of us that there's more. Maybe this is why uh, we are such a people driven by causes. Maybe social activism is, is an evidence of something missing. And so we, we grab on to a cause that we love and we're passionate and we care about and we pour all of our energy and resources into it. But, but what happens when despite all the money, all of the answers, all of the energy, and the problems still persist? Has our lives been meaningless, empty, useless? And, and maybe even we do this with love and relationships. We, we desperately look for someone to connect to. And then when we, when we find and we hold on to it, only to discover that people change. We change. And so maybe the relationship that once brought great meaning now just needs to be discarded. And we need to continue to look someplace else. Or maybe just give up on relationships altogether. In light of this quandary that our culture faces, that the top's been cut off, that there is no supernatural, but yet we're still trying to make sense of this world. In light of that, doesn't it make sense that a teenager might grab a gun and go shoot at his peers? Or even at himself? Maybe the rise of attempted suicide among young adults, the rise of the popularity of shows like 13 Reasons Why, maybe this is just evidence of the young adults of our culture realizing that entertainment won't do it and activism won't do it and even love and relationships won't do it and they're grabbing for the one last thing to try to make sense of life. And that thing is power. Power over other people. Power even over one's own life. Maybe that that grabbing for power is a way of people trying to break out of the frame that seems to be suffocating them in. 
unable to make sense the world in which they live. Does Easter matter? Yes. Because when we think about Resurrection Sunday, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, what we are remembering is that one day the supernatural broke into this world, exploded onto the scene, and proved that there was more. It's what the Apostle Paul was trying to point his people to when he said, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. These people had got it all confused. They They had built up their own kingdom. In fact, Paul openly mocks them. Some people think the Bible is just for nice, kind folks. Paul was not a nice or kind folk. Listen to what he says as he taunts them about this kingdom that they have built up for themselves. He says this in verse 8. You are already full. You are already rich. You you have already begun to reign as kings without us. What he's doing is he's saying, look, You who think you've got all that you need in this life built up right here, you don't realize that it's ultimately empty. If you rely on a kingdom that you can build with your hands, you will find it slipping through them sooner or later. So Paul says it's not about talk. It's about power. A power that he wants to shock his people into seeing and a power that Resurrection Sunday is supposed to shock us into seeing one more time. And so some of you are here and would say, yes, that's the resurrection power that I believe in. Well, I just want to, again, ask that question. Does, Does Easter Sunday really matter? Because If we think about it this way, what would your life be like if there was no Easter Sunday? What would be missing if there was no celebration of resurrection? Would you still be able to build morality, build significance, build purpose? Would you just have something extra to add on? If if that's all that Easter Sunday brings for you, then you might not be so far away from those who would question whether or not it exists at all. You see, the point of Easter Sunday that I think a lot of Christians, believers, people, if you, if you grew up around church, a lot of people tend to think that Easter Sunday is really all about uh, victory over death. It's, it's like a life insurance policy that, that, that can't go bad. If you die, you're going to get alive again. So uh, that's all that it means. And so it's a helpful thing to have in your back pocket for when you die, but you only plan to do that once, and so you only need to pull it out one time, right? So it's not that big of a deal with everyday life. A lot of Christians will, will treat resurrection like that. It's just a, a helpful life insurance policy. But, but that's not the way that the Bible talks about it. The Bible doesn't talk about resurrection as a helpful life insurance policy. The Bible talks about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead as a declaration of sovereignty. Philippians chapter 2 says this. 
He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Not that Jesus Christ is a helpful life insurance policy. Do you know what the word Lord means? It means he's in charge, master. Jesus' resurrection from the dead proves that he was no mere king over the Jews or over the Romans. It proves that he was no mere king for the first century, but for every century. The resurrection of Jesus is God's declaration that Jesus is sovereign. It is God's coronation of Jesus as king. That's why the Apostle Paul and so many saints of old and even Christians all over the world today are willing to die for this Jesus. Not because they have a helpful life insurance policy, but because they serve a risen and alive king. He is alive now and reigns now and calls for loyalty and obedience from everyone now. Does Easter Sunday really matter? Yes. Because that risen Jesus is risen to reign over you and me, over this whole earth over everything that ever has been and is and will be. That's what's at stake in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Now, you know that painting? Go ahead and put it up again. Do you know what's missing from that painting? The, the title is The Vision of St. John. What's missing, what was cut off from this painting was the scene of as John looked up to heaven as it's described in Revelation and he sees the clouds opened up and one like the Son of Man, Jesus, coming in all of his power and his glory to establish and complete his kingdom on earth. That's what's missing from the painting. And I'm afraid it's what's missing from what we call Christianity. Someday, the clouds will open up and that risen Savior will come as King and complete His reign here on earth. The good news for you and for me is that right now, He's inviting all of us to come under his rule, to submit to him as king, to know him as savior, so that when that day comes, we greet him as Lord and not run from him as judge. 
You can know him in this way today. His invitation is open to you to come. Come and trust him now. Build your life on him now. His his invitation is open to those of you who, who have walked this road but have walked away. It's still open. Come back to him now. His mercy and his grace is good for you today. Come back. Orient your life here. Don't waste your life chasing what this culture is chasing. And if you have already come under this risen king, then today and every day, do you know what our job is? It's to look up. We are to be like St. John in this painting, looking up towards that risen king so that the people around us ask the question, what are they looking at? And we have an opportunity to say, King Jesus, look up at him today. Come to him now. Let's pray. Eternal one, we recognize that our view of this world is so small. Would you open our eyes to see it as it is, to see you as you are, to know Jesus as our King. Today, would you grant us the courage to move towards him, just as we are, to trust his mercy and to live under his power. Would you cause us to never again be satisfied with talk that lacks the power of our risen King Jesus? We pray this in his powerful name. Amen.